This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to Noon on Tuesday. I'm your hostess, Gina, with Vanessa Mochis. And today we're talking to somebody really exciting. His name is Gordon Edgar, who is known as the punk rocker turned cheese buyer at the Rainbow Co-op in San Francisco, California. And he's author of two books that really delve into cheese and the life of a cheese monger. So uh, welcome, Gordon. It's so nice to chat with you. Uh, thanks. Yeah, and I'm not sure you ever become really a former punk rocker. Do you? Okay, so I, I need to change the words there. <laughs> if, if you aren't, if you aren't now, you never were. You never were. You never were. That's an intriguing story. You probably get asked this all the time because that is really cool. Are you still hold on to your punk roots? That'll always be with you. Well, you know, I, I can't. I'm too old to go to shows like I used to. You know, especially when you have to get up at five in the morning. It's, yeah, it's a little harder. Actually, you know, I, I will say I really had this moment once when I was. Um, I, there was a reunion of a band I loved and uh-huh. I went to see them and it was like Thursday night and I went out and the show didn't end till two. I didn't get home till three, Ugh. got home, got to sleep at like three thirty. had to get up at five and I was receiving cheese the next day uh-huh. and I fell asleep in the walk-in cooler on top of a pallet. You didn't. Been, <laughs> I, just, I just sat down for a second and I was like, you know, it's really comfortable on top of this pallet. This is good. Night, was, night. Oh, that's really good, Gordon. I love it. I love it. And that's a true cheese lover that will just snuggle up with a pile of cheese. <laughs> right? 40-pound blocks are surprisingly comfortable. Are surpri- okay, good to know. Never tried it. Hmm, something new. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, Gordon, um, tell me, just let's, I guess, get it, people to introduce you. You know, you've had many, it sounds like a couple of lives, and they may be intertwining now. But but who are you? Where where'd you come from? And and and. and uh- well, yeah. I, I've I've been working in cheese for 24 years now. Okay. Um, I I work at Rainbow Grocery Cooperative in San Francisco, um, which is a worker-owned cooperative. It's been around for just over 40 years. Wow. So, uh, so yeah, you know, and it's um, I got to Rainbow right before we moved to a bigger location. So it was really a great opportunity to um to learn about cheese. You know, I mean, this is 22 years ago, but really get into cheese and um and and kind of have a chance to really, you know, promote what I wanted to promote, you know, me sure. and the other people who I work because it was kind of a wide open field at that point. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, you were at the the very cutting edge, front edge of when she started getting popular. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but I didn't have any food background before I started working at, at Rainbow. Actually, I, I just really wanted to work there mostly because it was a worker-owned cooperative. I shopped there. It seemed like a good job. And and uh, I just randomly got hired into the cheese department because that's who was hiring at the time and kind of decided after about a year I really liked cheese. And so kind of the rest rest is history, I the guess. The rest is history. Is there a certain cheese like that, that that really like said you said, Oh my gosh, this is this is the food for me. This is it. I think way back when it was it was a Gruyere. You know, it was like yeah. a one year Gruyere. It was called antique at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and um, you know, the first time I tried it, I was just like, you know, because I'd had a, I had a I mean, you know, this is so far in the past, but, you know, we, we used to sell like Gruyere cuts, which were just, you know, four month aged, kind of really bland Gruyere. Sure. And I took a chance on buying a wheel of a year aged one and, and, um, and I tried it and I was like, oh my God, this is what, this is why people talk about cheese. Yeah. You know, this I, is I find, why there are cheese snobs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Gruyere was the one. Is it still a favorite? Oh yeah. Still count it sure. right up there. Yeah. I, 
It's good stuff. I'd say there's always there's always four cheeses I have in the house, uh-huh. and Gruyere Conte are definitely one of one of that. You know, that Alpine style is always in the house. Yeah, super super good. Have you had a chance to visit any of the Alpine makers? Um, I haven't been to Switzerland mm-hmm. actually, but I've been to France, and I I, I went to uh, Fort de Russe um, nice. actually visit and all those. Saw all those huge wheels of Comte, all the all the like you know big caves of Napoleon Fort, the whole thing. It was yeah. really really mind blowing. That is super super cool. Yeah, I, I think um, a person has to see and appreciate those giant. When you're talking, you know, eighty pound plus wheels of cheese, to to super appreciate them, <laughs> let alone the taste of them, well, the look of them. And, and, well, not just not just one of them, but like thirty five thousand of them. Right? Yeah, I mean, right? you know, <laughs> yeah, oh, crazy. I mean, the, you know, uh-huh, right. I see in the store all the time, but like, you know, seeing, wow, there's like 35,000 of these in here that just keeps going. I mean, that was really kind of mind blowing. Mind boggling. So, so true. <laughs> you have to explain something to me, um, Gordon, because I had read that you have been dubbed the Barbara Mandrell of the cheese <laughs> counter. <laughs> now that's kind yeah, of weird yeah. in a punk rock sense. I didn't know Barbara well, did that, but... <laughs> Well, I mean, honestly, you know, it's funny because I probably should take that off my website because it was just kind of a joke. Okay. Um, when uh, I don't know if you had Jeannie Carpenter. She did the Cheese Underground for a long time. Yeah. She's a great person in, in Wisconsin. And uh, when she reviewed my first book, um, she she called me the Barbara Mandrell of the cheese world. And, and it was kind of like <laughs> it was kind of a joke. I mean, on, on the one hand, because it's like obviously I was all like talking about punk rock stuff, sure. you know, um, but it was also, you know, she's like, you know, Barbara Mandrell, she was country before country was cool. And nice. that was like, so like cheese before cheese was cool. And so I just thought it was, I thought it was hilarious. Uh, I thought it was hilarious, especially because around that time I started dating somebody who I'm now married to, who's from Lubbock, Texas, and has got the country background that I do not have any legitimacy to. And I also thought it was cool because, you know, I mean, really, honestly, how many, how many men, like, will put something up on their website that's like comparing themselves to a woman. And I just thought that was <laughs> cool. I was like, I was like, sure, I'll be the Barbara Mandrell of cheese. Nobody will get it, but I, I'll be, I'll be but I'll it. do it. But now, now it kind of makes sense. Now I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll buy that. <laughs> I love, I think you should keep it. <laughs> it's crappy. It's catchy. It's catchy. I just have to explain it to everyone because nobody, nobody gets it. Oh, sure. Not, not even. Not even country people. Not even the country people. Not getting it. Oh, well, I sort of get it. But I can see how they wouldn't because I'm looking at your book cover, The Cheesemonger, A Life on the Wedge. You don't look like Barbara. <laughs> but tell us, Gordon, because this was your first book, right? The Cheesemonger? Yes. Um, yeah. And this just kind of chronicles and goes into, you know, what it really is like to be a cheesemonger. And you have some really funny stories in there. Yeah. You know, I um, it's, it's funny where the book came from because – you know, back in the early 2000s, um, you know, me and everybody else in the world was was, uh, you know, starting to do blogs, you know, and I had a <laughs> I had a blog and it was just I was just writing about whatever was going on in my life. Um, but as soon as people found out I worked in cheese, they just started asking me question after question. And um, there wasn't you know, back then there wasn't a lot of stuff on the Internet about cheese. I mean, and there weren't a lot of good books either. And um, and so. I made the mistake one day of saying, hey, if you have a cheese question, just ask and I'll try to answer it. You know, mm-hmm. you know, I went to work and then I came back. You know, this is before we had phones that had this kind of stuff. Sure, exactly. Computer, <laughs> And um, and there was like, I don't know how many, there were like 75, 85 questions on there. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> and, um, yeah. and well, awesome, except that I realized how long it would take me to answer all sure. those questions in detail. So I 
just went and deleted the post and um, pretended like it didn't happen. But I, um, I did at that time start thinking, okay, people really need to have a way to know more about cheese in a really kind of demystified, fun way rather than a, a pretentious way. Mm-hmm. So that's when I started really uh, thinking about writing a book about that in earnest. And, and um, you know, I combined it with kind of memoir in that just because partly that was the style of the time, but also because I felt like my education into it was a way for people to um, to not feel like I was lecturing to them, but to kind of explain how I was learning things or how I had learned things was just a way for, you know, like general population to not feel alienated by a cheese book, which might be too technical for some people, you know, sure. some books out there. Exactly, exactly. And I, I found it, it's just really interesting, you know, it, it is very readable and approachable. And that's a thing that I think is important to take that intimidation factor um, out of cheese and out of asking about cheese, but you know, where you talked about the rinds, you like the rinds, eat the rinds. You don't, you don't, no offense taken. (laughs) It's not not rocket science. It's not. Yeah. (laughs) But it is, it is quite interesting. And you're right. I think people find, and especially the title cheesemonger is, is funny. It's intriguing and it stirs conversation. Don't you think still to this day? Absolutely. You know, and it was funny because it really, (laughs) you know, when I did that, um, people really weren't using, I'm not saying I started this. I'm just saying people weren't really using it at the time. And it was kind of like this joke to call ourselves that because, you know, here we were doing a profession that nobody really, you know, it was kind of almost archaic, you know, it was kind of, you know, it was weird. There weren't very many people, you know, um, who were, you know, doing that and, uh, you know, and who, well, whatever, the, the cheese world yeah. was a lot smaller then. Um, and so it was kind of a, that was kind of, um, you know, it, it was a joke, not a joke. It was just <laughs> cheesemonger. It's archaic. This is a funny word. And um, and now it's so much more popular that it's, it's. Uh, I think, <laughs> you yeah. can see the type different way than they used to. A completely different way. I think you mentioned it in there. Um, do you remember this? There was a Seinfeld episode where he dated a girl. Wasn't it Seinfeld? Who was a cheesemonger. And he was really embarrassed that he was dating a cheesemonger back then. <laughs> but now I think it's pretty cool if you're dating a cheesemonger. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what's that, that show? Um, what? Uh, oh, now I'm blanking on the name of the show. But there's that yeah. show that was just on um, uh, that where where the main character was dating a cheesemonger briefly, and that was seen as a very positive thing. That's very good to hear. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was really sad after the when I saw the other one. Like, what? No, what? It's not funny. This is really good. This is cool. Oh my goodness. Um, you do every day. You're interacting still with the the customers, and you're getting some of the same questions. You know, still, right? But have you seen a progression in the questions oh. you get asked and um, the customers that have been with you? You know, if you've been there so many years that you've seen grow and learn all about cheese? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, it's I, for one thing, I mean, I think that it's a lot harder for cheese mongers now than it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, when I started, you know, after or when we trained people like early on, like say in the 90s, you know, um, it was after about a month. You know, anybody who we trained was going to know more than 99% of the people asking questions. (laughs) Nowadays, nowadays, that's not true. I mean, the customers know a lot and they look stuff up and they they go and ask you a question and they go look it up in their phone and then they come back and, you know. Yes, exactly. You're like, oh, I. (laughs) It's like, oh, here's some misinformation I just read on the internet. How about that? You know? Exactly. um, And. So it's um it's a much more challenging thing now. I mean, in terms of, you know, we have a lot of, you know, customers who I see and I know exactly what 
kind of cheese they want. Like, oh, here's an here's a new Iberian Peninsula style cheese because I know that's the only cheese you like. You know, I mean, sure. you know, something random like that. But um, but you know, I also seen the other day I was working behind the counter and. I, I saw a woman who had been talking to you for, I don't know how long, you know, 15, 20 years. And, and I said, Hey, where's your daughter today? And she's like, she's at work. I'm like, and I said, your daughter's not old enough to work. She's like, my daughter's 22. <laughs> I was like, when did that happen? <laughs> I was, I was like, when did that happen? <laughs> yeah. Isn't that great? Oh, I love it. I love it. I, 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 you just have, I don't know if you think Gordon, I feel like you're, you're, you're selling, you're not just selling the cheese. It's just selling a joy, a joyful moment. Um, you know, yeah, I, th- I, th- yeah. I think that too. I mean, I think also, you know, definitely, definitely that's true. And, you know, we're selling a lot of times we'll sell, you know, we're selling food for people's like events of their lives. You know, mm-hmm. it's a birthday party. It's a, you know, anniversary party. It's a graduation party. It's, you know, it's a wake, you know, whatever. Yeah. You know, there are a lot of important things. And there's, I don't want to say there's this huge responsibility, but, you know, to make people's lives easier in that moment is really a, a great thing. So, yeah, I, I always appreciate that. That's really great. How do how do you yourself personally keep up with you know everything that's new, um, all the changes, you know, keeping up with all that information? You're right that people ask now. It used to just be what milk is this? Now it's well, is it raw? Is it pasteurized? Is it what kind of rennet? Um, they're asked, you know, what's the region that it comes from? How how do you personally track all that and help yeah. your team do that? <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it's I mean, it's it is a lot harder than it used to be. Um, and I, I'd say that you know. I mean, I, I don't know how, how uh, you know, um, specific an answer you want for that. But I mean, for, for me, when I bring in a cheese, um, what I do is I send out uh, a, um, you know, an email to everybody who I work with. And, sure. you know, it's just like, OK, here's the cheese. You know, here are all those things. You know, what kind of milk? You know, what kind of rennet? You know, what style cheese? And uh, and then kind of what are the selling points? And, you know, selling points is a is a retail word or retail phrase. But it's but it's, you know, like, why would somebody want to buy this? Sure. You know, and, and and just kind of, you know, give four or five reasons why. And then whenever we have something new, we always have it behind the counter, um, you know, for at least that first week, just so people can taste it. Yeah. Um, you know, workers, workers and customers uh, sure. both. Um, so, you know, that's the way we, we kind of do it that way. But it's um it's tough. And, you know, it's it's a much more competitive world than it used to be. It used to be like, oh my God, you've got a goat cheese? Sure. Bring it by tomorrow. You know, right. and now- <laughs> <laughs> you know it's not, not quite that way anymore. Yeah. So, um, the case. so that, that's really changed. Yeah. How do you balance um, the, the, what to keep in stock that everybody loves all the time versus bringing in things new? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I mean, honestly, I'd say that's one of the more um, challenging parts of being a buyer in general, because every time I discontinue something, I'm going to hear about it, mm-hmm. you know, from sure. people, <laughs> even if, even if I see in the movement reports, well, we're only selling a, a few pounds of that a week, you know, a few pounds of that, you know, maybe at a half pound each, that's, you know, eight or 10 customers and they're all going to tell me about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. You'll hear so, from them all. Totally. So, you know, uh, so that's tough, but you know, people want variety. I mean, there's a whole slew of customers who are just like, Oh, Hey, what's new this week? You know? Yeah. And so you got, you can't keep your case static or else it, it, it also, you know, goes a bad direction. So just kind of balancing that. I mean, you know, there's, we even do the thing where sometimes we'll just, even if a cheese isn't selling that well, if they're regular customers who buy it, you know, we just kind of keep it in the back and, you know, it's like, Oh, you're here. Yeah. We can catch you some from the back. You know, that, sure. that kind of stuff. exactly sounds well, familiar. Not, yeah. Well, and it's, it's not a great retail strategy. I mean, if, if your goal is to maximize profit, it's not a great strategy um, because it's kind of a hassle and it mm-hmm. takes kind of 
super, but you know, it's what we do for the community, you know, that we serve. So. Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I think some things Gordon take precedence right over that, that just that bottom line of the cheese sale. It's that again, bringing that just happiness. If somebody just loves that so much, how could you deny that love? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Something really good. <laughs> um, and how about, how about mix of products, you know, um, it, Different shops and across the country, you can take different tactics, you know, focusing maybe on all domestic artisanal products. Uh, any thoughts there? You know, we're, we're generalists. I mean, <laughs> I think we are. Know, yeah. I mean, we, 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 um, you know, we, we definitely have always carried a lot of California cheeses, but, you know, on some level that that's easy, you know, yeah. cause there's a lot of really good California cheeses. Um, you know, it's not as easy as it is if you're in say someplace that doesn't really have a cheese, um, you know, community making cheese there. Yeah. But, um, but, uh, it's, you know, I, we try to carry, you know, really everything. I mean, I, I don't believe in carrying just American cheese. I mean, I, I'm not criticizing anybody who does, but, you know, to me, to um to be able to tap into the traditions of of cheese making and support you know things like Conte which is yeah. like my absolute favorite um name control because you know all the cheese has to be made by village cooperatives all the cows have to have a certain area for grazing it's really the um the best name control that exists as far as i'm concerned and you know if we if we decided just to carry domestic and not carry that you know what are the practices of some of the cheeses we'd be carrying Sure. you know, from the U S that aren't going to be as good as that, you know? So, uh, yeah. you know, I think it's really important to, to carry the classics. Yeah. You know? and real true. They have a story to tell. All, mm-hmm. the, all those domestic only places, they always cheat and carry Parmesan anyway. So I'm like, once you <laughs> wait a that, minute, <laughs> <anyway>. <laughs> you're mean, calling them <laughs> carry just dry Jack. And, and then I, then I would say that's, that's, that's being consistent. Sure. Sure. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. I think it, you would miss out if you just didn't um, experience the whole world of cheese and our world, American world has gotten really good. It's really great. Um, but wow, it's fun to compare. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. However, how did Cheddar, that was your next book. Simply yeah, well, entitled you know, that, Cheddar. Yeah, tell <laughs> us about your love of Cheddar and what brought that to fore. Well, you know, that book actually, you know, this is actually, that was a perfect lead into this because, um, it, you know, after after I wrote uh, Cheesemonger, I, I, I kind of, I came, like Cheesemonger was kind of answering everybody else's questions okay. about cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, Cheddar was about answering my question about American cheese, which is, you know, when I started, especially, uh, you know, people would adamantly be like, you know, oh, no American cheese. American cheese yes. is terrible. <laughs> I'm not talking about sli- craft slices. I mean, like, you know, people only wanted to buy European because the, they felt like the quality was so much mm-hmm. better. And I was like, um, I was like, how did we get there? I mean, if we're talking, you know, when I started in the mid 90s, but, you know, how did America get to this place where it didn't have the cheese traditions of other countries um, even though it had immigration from those sure. countries, you know, like, how come that didn't carry over? And um, once I started thinking about that question, I decided I really wanted to figure out the answer and answer it. And and I realized that the um, the answer was cheddar. Uh, the answer okay. was cheddar as the as the first industrialized cheese in the United States, really coming to dominate cheese production all over the United States because of, um, well, for various reasons, but most to do with, you know, the industrialization of food. And, um, and so I felt like studying the the history of cheddar would really illuminate that. And so the book's about cheddar, but it's also about the food system and how, how cheese came to be the way it was, um, until 
the 70s and 80s when kind of this cheese revolution happened in the United States. And a lot of people uh, really started changing the kind of cheddar only or commodity only focus of the of the cheese business. Of the cheese. That's so interesting. Um, you know, I, my mom happens to be from Austria and in the you know Second World War, she remembers the Americans dropping blocks of what I'm guessing was cheddar, you know, orange, you know, to, to help, you know, feed because they needed food, you know, into yeah. the region. And, and she completely remembers this and has a super, you know, fond memory and, 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 and thankfulness to America for those blocks of cheddar. <laughs> so that's real interesting. They have their uses. They really do. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, I love cheddar. And, you know, and honestly, that was probably past, uh, you know, like some kind of processed cheddar, I would assume. Just yeah, for, exactly. For- Sure, but, but um, but uh, you know, but sustenance, man. <laughs> I mean, that's I, I tried to get into that in the book too. Of like, well, how did it get this way? It's like, well, honestly, it's kind of the logical extension of the logic of cheese making, mm-hmm. which is you're taking this perishable protein and you're converting it into something that's going to last longer, and you're converting it because that kind of ensures the uh, that your community or your farm or your family will have. Um, you know, food in the coming days, months or whatever. Yeah. And so, you know, if you if you take that concept and you extend it out, I mean, you know, you know, <laughs> um, craft singles, pasteurized processed cheese food. I mean, all that kind of makes sense on the level on just that simple level mm-hmm. of taking protein and trying to extend its life as long as possible. It doesn't make sense on other levels, but it makes sense yes, on that level. Exactly. And that's, completely. And, and that's and that's I felt like that's actually an important thing to understand um, in the, in the food world also, mm-hmm. how did, we, you know, yeah. How did we get there? There was a purpose there. Yeah. There is a, something there. Um, there was a term that you, you told a story about the term no free lunch and it applies to cheddar and that term comes from cheddar somehow. Yeah. It, um, well, <laughs> the, um, <laughs> it's funny that, I mean, this is back around the, the turn of the century, mm-hmm. but the, um, a lot of bars in, in urban areas would offer, free lunches, you okay. know, and to get people to come in and drink. And that's, that's honestly where a lot of like poor people, unemployed people, you know, would go and get their food. Gotcha. And, um, in the, as kind of part of, uh, the move to prohibition, um, a lot of, uh, those, the free lunch in the bar, mm-hmm. um, and I'm generalizing a little here, uh, just to make it, make it a quicker story, but, <laughs> but, you know, the free lunches in the bar were, were made illegal. Um, because it was seen as a way just to lure people in to drink or drinking. Uh, ah. And so, but when that happened, um, the upstate New York cheddar uh, business took a huge fall because they had been supplying cheese to like New York wow. City. Wow. Okay. Um, most of that cheese was being used to uh, provide free lunches. Um, so you know that's that's kind of story. I, I felt like it was a funny story to yeah. include. In the, um, you know, I don't think it had any real lasting effect on the New York cheese industry. Other things have, but um, but I, I just thought it was funny because that phrase that we you yeah. know, hear every, you know, there you go, cheese related. That cheese was a related. cheese sandwich. I love it. That's a <laughs> cheese that sandwich. Free no free lunch. Yeah. <laughs> that is so clever. Yeah. Um, do you have an opinion? Like, I, I know you love mac and cheese. I was reading that too. You're a fan <laughs> of mac and cheese. In fact, the quote that I loved is that you. I think would drop everything and trample a baby kitten for quality mac and cheese. <laughs> well, you know, that, was that, that you? Actually, somebody else? Okay. I don't trampling kittens. Okay. <laughs> no, I just so thought I was, it was a cute quote. <laughs> that was the organization that um, I judged a mac and cheese contest, and it was this nice. this weird, it's kind of a weird contest because it was like it's only available. The tickets were only available online, uh-huh. and it was some kind of like like 
hip food thing that I really had no connection to and, and didn't under, didn't really understand it. And, um, all I knew was that the tickets had sold out in, um, literally in under 30 seconds. It was like 200. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and that's what the organizer told me when I said, I said that, you know, people are complaining to me cause they saw I was a judge that they couldn't get tickets. And then she, she said the thing about trampling kittens. <laughs> It's kind of no, true. No, I, I love magazines. No tick tick for that event. This is good to note. Duly noted. <laughs> Duly noted. Um, would you say cheddar is like, is that a go-to that you would use in mac and cheese then? They go oh, hand yeah. in hand? Think, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, cheddar is a, well, I mean, you can do other things, but like, you know, that's, that's the classic. That's what I would use. I would mix in some other things. Well, you know how it is. I mean, you work in cheese. I, mean, yeah. I got a, I got a cheese drawer full of like Bits. samples and odds and so. <laughs> Pretty much everything goes in mac and cheese, but cheddar is the base. Is the sure. base. Oh, for sure. For sure. We just did, um, Gordon, uh, a little cheddar World Cup where we pitted um, a beautiful wheel of uh, Jasper Hills, the Cabot Cloth Bound, the black label, mm-hmm. against a Montgomery's oh, yeah. from England. So it was USA versus England. And <laughs> how different those are, as you know, right? Completely different. You almost cannot count. They're both made in the same style, but their flavors are 100% different. Um, yeah, absolutely. yeah. Do you have an absolute favorite? Would you like to, that you could share in the cheddar world? You know, whenever I do this, people get mad. But yeah. um, <laughs> no, I mean, you know, there's no question that Montgomery cheddar is yeah. like a classic, amazing cheddar, and and it's really, you know, you can't say that that's not the best cheddar in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you could say maybe others you like as much, but I don't think you can say anything's better. Yeah, I actually of the um, Mary Quick's uh, vintage mm. um, with two year aged one. It's just a little bit more aged than the Monty usually is. Um, yeah. You know, that one may, maybe a little, little sweeter, maybe a little milkier, a little less dank, a little less celery, mm-hmm. a little less crazy. Um, I mean, I, I, and I also love speaking of English ones, the West comb has become amazing. And that was a cheese that I don't know, 10 years ago I was kind of eh, about, but, um, Recently, that Westcomb has been so good. Um, and then, you know, and then you go to California and you go yeah. to the Fifth is really the most, um, you know, English style I think you can buy in the United States in terms of hitting those really like, you know, earth, dirt, cellar, yes. round, you know, grassy kind of flavor, dank flavors. Um, but, you know, there's so many there's so many more cheddars, cloth bound cheddar. I mean, cloth bound cheddar went extinct in the United States for a number of years. Um, until it was brought back by Mariano uh, when he was working at um, Shelburne Farms, but um, but you know it, it's and now there's more cloth bound cheddars being made in the United States than in England. You know, yeah, which that's crazy, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so there's a lot to choose from for sure. Yeah, crazy and awesome. There's no shortage of cheddars to choose from, right? And even <laughs> um, <laughs> we love the bandage wrap, but there are good block cheddars. Would you agree? Really good ones. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and, and the hybrids too. I mean, I love that the Red Barn Heritage Weiss, which is um, cloth bound and waxed, um, nice. which is kind of the middle style between those two. You know, the uh, the forty pound block and the um, and the cloth bound. I mean, that's one of my favorite cheeses. Um, you know, I I love I love a sweet cheddar. The English, you know, give me a hard time about it, but you know, nothing's better than the Prairie Breeze that's from Iowa. Good. Right, um, beautiful. You know, but you know, more classic one like Widmer. Widmer's uh, 40 pound blocks. Love those cheeses. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. You know, and, and then, and, and also I just said too, they not to leave them out, but the, you know, Vermont ones, which especially like, you know, those grafted. Mm-hmm. Delicious. Taste like sulfur and like some actual terroir of the uh, area. There you go. 
That's yeah. that's it's like can be you know those northeast cheddars can be a little bitter, and if you're not from there, that seems a little weird. But yeah, man, people from there. Yeah. But, isn't that kind of the beauty of it, though, right? Then you, to taste all those different styles, you can have bitterness here, dankness here, sweetness there. Um, yeah, that's what makes cheese special. Yeah, what makes it special, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know about you. I'm, I'm happy that each wheel is different. I don't want it to be the same every time. A Gruyere from the summer, a Gruyere from the winter. And I love that they're different, and you have to taste them and find your true love, right? Yeah. And, you know, and when we say that, we're talking about pretty much the, uh, you know, polar opposite of industrial production of food, Mm -hmm. you know, which would be the same every single time across the customer won't recognize it. Sure. So, yes. Yes. Really great. (laughs) What do you think in all your now experience of so many years as an expert cheesemonger and um, cheese lover, uh, what are the trends that you're seeing? What do you what do you think's coming? I mean, there's so many cheesemakers now. That's what I've noticed. Cheese has become, you know, there used to be boutique wineries, the wine boom. Now there's, you know, cheesemakers everywhere. What else do you think's coming or down the pike in the cheese world? I mean, I think we're in this this odd period right now because, you know, the the kind of people who started this cheese revolution back in the seventies and eighties are all getting uh, older and all retiring and, and, um, you know, getting out of the business, um, you know, for good reason. I mean, you know, God bless them. Let them have a little rest. Yeah, exactly. It's hard work, everybody. Hard, right. hard, yeah. hard work. But, you know, I think we really have to see what, what comes next because I mean, this is, we're kind of in that moment that beer had where, uh, you know, the kind of, bigger breweries started realizing that the craft breweries were taking their market share. And so they wanted to get involved, you know, and um, I yeah. think we're in this moment now where, you know, some bigger companies are buying littler, littler smaller companies. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and, you know, right now everything's good. Um, in 10 years, I think, I don't know what it's going to look like. Yeah. Um, I do think that the only answer to that is really regionalism. I think that, that, you know, cheese making, you know, needs to be encouraged in a small scale in unique ways, you know, uh, for different regions. You know, it's like, you know, somebody, you know, I, I can't fit any more American home style cheeses on my shelf. You know, yeah. not only yeah. do I have like five made locally, there's like great ones from every region. There has to be a way for people to sell those in their area rather right. than send them to a bigger cheese city. Yeah. You know, a, a, Otherwise, it's just not going to work. So I think regionalism really has to happen. No, that um, makes good sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's it's cool to see that now, as someone that could never have gotten cheese in certain regions before, can now. Um, and mm-hmm. if that can continue, you're right. That gives a, a channel for the you know small cheesemaker um, to sell their wares, make a living, share their goods, share the beauty. Yeah. The other thing too is I think that you know cheese from the south is really um, coming into its own. You know, you talk about you know, good grass, you know, you can, you know, graze most of the year in the South, um, unlike anywhere else in the country. And, and, um, you know, I think there's just, you know, <laughs> historically speaking, you couldn't make cheese there because the weather, you know, is that, you know, it's hard mm-hmm. to age cheese. Mm-hmm. But now that we have things like refrigeration and trucks, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's a reason we can't make great cheese in the South. And I think people are really starting to, and I think that's where some of the best new cheeses are coming from. Oh, that's nice. So look for cheeses from the South. I like it. <laughs> I like it. Um, are you going to the American Cheese Society Conference, Gordon? Yes, I am. Yes, there's going to be, <laughs> I think last year, wasn't it over 2000 entries? It's just crazy how many, right? Are now yeah, many. yeah. I, I, I judged last year, um, I'm not judging this year. I'm actually helping out with the judging, I think, on Tuesday. But yeah, it's um it's it's great. I love the competition. Judging is one of my favorite things to do at the conference, um, because it's it's so pure. You know, you're just sitting there 
in this room with anonymous cheeses that get brought to you and you taste yeah. them and write down how you feel about them, you know, without kind of an idea of like, how am I going to sell this or who yeah. made this? You know, I just like, this is the cheese in front of me and this is what it tastes like. And it's just kind of amazing. I, I, lo- I love the judging part. Oh, that's so awesome. So tell us, you know, the, how, how the judging works in cheese. You know, the wine, they might take a sip, swirl and spit. How do you do it in cheese world? And not, you know, eat too much cheese or get your palate dulled. <laughs> How does that well, work? Well, you know, I, I just got to say, you know, a wine bucket, a wine spit bucket is pretty disgusting. <laughs> right. But it has nothing on the cheese spit bucket. There is a I cheese mean, spit, bucket? spit bucket? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, they, they come and they, they they change them out, you know, but it's like, you know, you, you don't have to spit. Um, <laughs> certainly, there's some cheeses you spit because they're bad sure. <laughs> yeah, you might want to <laughs> you know out of out of 2000 some entries and this has really changed I've, I've judged i mean i think i've judged 10 times mm-hmm. maybe nine or 10 times over the last 15 years and and um back when i started there was i would say a good 20 percent of the cheese i just considered unsellable and wanted to spit out wow i'd say yeah. that's that but i'd say that's totally changed and now there's very very few of a, of the two days of judging where yeah. I'll taste two cheeses, um, you know, uh, you know, maybe maybe one, two, maybe three, I would consider just I have to spit this out, which okay. is, you know, it's a huge change. You know, so I think cheese making has gotten a lot better. But yeah. but the way, the way that it works at, at ACS is that you're um, you're paired. I'm I would be an aesthetic judge because I'm not a dairy scientist or cheese maker. So I get paired with a technical judge who is a dairy scientist or a cheesemaker. Okay. And we each are responsible for 50 of the 100 points available. I see. Basically. Okay. So aesthetics, you're talking about texture, look, feet, mouthfeel, things like that? Um, well, we're also talking about taste. But basically, it's like the idea is that um, at a lot of cheese competitions, it's simply technical. So you could award, you know, the best cheese to a cheese that, isn't necessarily that interesting or that tasty or even something that really is appealing to customers, but it's just technically a perfect cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea with ACS is that us aesthetic judges can, um, where a technical judge would say, oh, this rind is looking a little uh, uneven or has some mold on it. I can award points for the same things they deduct for um, based on say rustic appearance or, you know, you know, like interesting, uh, interesting rind, interesting, like things like that. So the idea is to balance out the, the technical, um, you know, perfection or lack thereof of a cheese with the, um, kind of more daring, uh, you know, handmade style of cheese making that, that isn't necessarily recognized the same way by by a tech. By a tech. And I mean, and for you too, being behind the counter, you know, what attracts people, right? To, to try a cheese, yeah. to buy a cheese, to spend a lot of money sometimes on the cheese, right? All comes into well, play. Well, yeah. And I, I mean, it's, it's a funny thing because the technical judges, you know, they generally know a lot more than us. Uh, mm-hmm. Aesthetic judges about, and this is also changing a little bit, I think, as cheesemongers get more educated. But, but um, you know, they'll be like, oh, you know, this defect is caused by X, Y, and Z in the process. You know, and they'll go into great detail about that. And and really, I, I feel like I learn a lot from the technical judges when yes. I'm working with them. Mm-hmm. But the technical judges sometimes will be like, what's truffle supposed to taste like? You know, yeah, this like, is what? a flavor. <laughs> I'm not sure if this is what it's supposed to taste like because they don't have that like retail or big city, um, sure. you know, <laughs> yeah. food background. So so we help them in those ways, too. Yeah, that's fun. It's, that's a neat collaboration. That's good to know. Yeah, that, that seems very well-rounded judging. <laughs> 
I love it. I love it. Well, Gordon, gosh, I really appreciate it. If anybody, you know, wants to pick up these books, if you're interested in the real life of a cheesemonger, what it might take to be one, check out Cheesemonger. And then, yeah, this history of cheddar. I mean, a great cheese and then a great story of America right there. So check those two out. Gordon, appreciate it. If we ever make it up to San Francisco and the Rainbow Co-op, definitely we'll stop in and say hi. Definitely. If I'm, if I'm down there in San Diego, you know, I'm going to stop. You by. have to. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do it. Okay. Sounds right. good, everybody. Thank, Thank you. you. Cheers. Ciao. Hi, fellow cheese lovers. Cheese Whiz Gina here, and I invite you to subscribe to our Noon on Tuesday podcast to hear all about cheese all the time. You can listen on iTunes or SoundCloud or subscribe via FeedBurner under Noon on Tuesday. You can also watch us live every week on Facebook at Venissimo Cheese at, you guessed it, noon every Tuesday Pacific time. We're fun, we're cheesy, so tune in and tell your friends to tune in too. Ciao! The Specialty Produce app is the world's number one handheld resource on produce. The app features photographs, recipes, geography and history, taste and culinary applications on over 1,900 produce items. From apples to zapote, we've got your produce questions answered. Our app is available for both iPhone and Android. Download our app for free today.